run um, as teaching continues. Thanks, Asante. So today's passage is from Genesis chapter 37. And for those of you just finding it in your Bible, I'll give you a moment to do that. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that his father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And then just moving to verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a car caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. Moving forward to verse 31. Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in, in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. <coughs> Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph to Egypt, in Egypt, to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Amen.
sorry, I thought that was a bit of the service where I could sit back and enjoy it. But uh, we're going to sing another song, um, a beautiful song called He Will Hold Me Fast. So let's stand if we are able to do that. <coughs> say a brief prayer as we come against God's word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you will hold us fast. And as we learn more about you, particularly about uh, what you suffered for our sake, please help us to love you more. Amen. Now, let me step up then to a medium level of difficulty, if before was the easy bit. I want to show you, um, keep thinking about how Joseph points us to Jesus, because out of all of the Old Testament characters, I think Joseph is probably one of the clearest pictures we have of Jesus. Now, kids, you can help me out here again if you're still in the room. Who's in this picture? 
got this one, the next one, there you go. Can you tell me who's in that picture? I reckon someone will probably get it. There's one back there that will get it. One of our youth. Someone shout it out. The Gruffalo, yeah. So if you uh, saw the next picture, it would be a little bit clearer to see. There we go. So doesn't the detail make all the difference? And uh, if we see the next picture, even more detail makes even more difference, doesn't it? And I want to show you some details from our Bible reading today because the overall story, story of Joseph is a really clear picture of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. So if you didn't already know that, go away and read the story of Joseph and you'll see it really clearly. But even in the detail, we see Jesus. So here are three details. I've got the, uh, the old cardboard boxes out again. I'm going to keep going with these until I've, I've run out of sides to paint. There you go. This is the first one. And this first one is, the father loves the son. The father loves the son. The story of Joseph almost begins with the words, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And he gave him a nice coat because Joseph made him so happy. And Joseph was the light of his life. His father was so pleased with him. Now, you probably remember that when Jesus was baptized by John in Jordan, there was a voice from the sky that said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The father loves the son. So we got two sons loved by their fathers. And yet both of these sons become servants. Joseph by force, Jesus by choice. And both stories apparently end in the death of the favourite son. Imagine how a father might feel if this happened. They got Joseph's robe. Here we go. They got Joseph's nicely coloured robe and they slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in some blood. Then they took the T-shirt back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it and see if it's your son's T-shirt. And he recognized it and said, that is my son's T-shirt. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. I hope seeing a T-shirt kind of reminds us just how powerful that would have been and how horrible it would have been to see that. Really awful. Both stories have this build-up of tension and hatred from people around Joseph and Jesus until they both reach a devastating climax of death and blood. Now, Joseph, of course, it was the the torn shirt, but Jesus, it was the cross. So let me put these here to remind us how both stories seem to end in death and blood. But in both stories, we know that that wasn't the end, was it? And in fact... In both stories, that was the beginning of the way to salvation for the respective groups of people. Spoiler alert. So, the father loves the son. One little detail from the story of Joseph. Here's the second one. We've touched on this already. The son rejected. The reasons why Joseph and Jesus were hated by those around them were very similar. We're given three reasons for Joseph's brothers hating him, and the first two are well known. Firstly, the fact that he was the favourite, and secondly, because he had those dreams, which showed that God was going to make him important. And the brothers, they didn't think he deserved that, and they didn't think he should be made important. They were jealous. Thirdly, 
this is a lesser known reason, but still a reason we're told why his brothers hated Joseph. Joseph showed up to their badness and uh, their pride didn't like that. So this is verse two. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers and uh, he brought their father a bad report about them. Maybe that wasn't the wisest thing to do, but he showed up their badness. And in the New Testament, we see exactly the same things for Jesus. So you've probably read about the Pharisees, children. Maybe you've heard about them in Sunday school. They were people who didn't like Jesus. And they didn't like Jesus because Jesus showed up how bad they were underneath, when in fact they were trying to look really good. They didn't like Jesus because Jesus was chosen by God, and they didn't think he deserved that. And they didn't like Jesus because... He was the favourite and not them. He was popular amongst the people, and they were not. So exactly the same three reasons. And this comes back to my simple point at the beginning. People do not like God, and they do not like his plans. And the reason for it is really those three reasons. It's kind of our pride, isn't it? We don't like someone else being the most important, someone else being the hero of the story, someone else showing us all of our bad points. That's what Jesus does. And it makes him unpopular. So we all need to say sorry to God for the times when we're proud and we don't really like Jesus' plan very much. So we've got the father loves the son. The son was rejected. Here's my third detail. Can somebody tell me what this cryptic painting is? Any, any of the kids see what that is? I'm giving you a clue here. Okay, handshake. I reckon probably a more modern way to do it would be a hug, actually. I think that shows a bit that I'm a bit old-fashioned, but handshake. So Genesis 37 that we've just read, uh, thank you, Asantha, draws most of our attention to the hatred that the brothers had for Joseph. And so it raises the question, will there ever be reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers? Now, I have to wait and see. Here we go. It says, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. Joseph had a dream when he told it to his brothers. They hated him. And they hated him all the more because of his dream. And it goes on and on. And uh, then it says, here comes that dreamer. The brothers say, come, let us kill him and throw him down one of these pits and say that an animal has devoured him. So over and over again, you're hit by this. They hated him. They hated him. They hated him. And... um, I mean, in in one bit, they threw him down the pit. Got a nice picture of that here. So they throw Joseph down the pit, and then they sit down for lunch. They took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, and then the story goes on. So it's just like, ah, what have we got here? A Kit Kat and a nice, nice sandwich. So that is really nasty, isn't it, that they could just go on with their normal lives like that? So let's uh, see how that points to Jesus. Jesus was betrayed by one of his close friends, was whipped until his back was in shreds. He was made fun of and he had a crown of thorns stuck on his head. He had nails driven into his hands and his feet. He was lifted up to die of suffocation and starvation. Could he ever be reconciled to the people that did did this to him? And yet, as you probably know, on the cross he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. So if you've come to church today with a guilty conscience, or perhaps you're watching online and you've got a guilty conscience, 
then know that you can find forgiveness in Jesus. No matter how bad you've been, just tell God what you've done and be genuinely sorry. And you know that you can have forgiveness by God. Because look at what Jesus did when he was on the cross. Just yet, we're going to hear from God's word a little bit more. I want to sort of step up from the medium level to the advanced level. But as I said before, just because this is more advanced doesn't mean it's more important. And in fact, I'd say this is less important than what's gone before. But this is something where if, if everything I've already said is really obvious to you, and you want a little bit more to chew on, then hopefully this will give you something. And it's a little bit of irony right at the start of the story of Joseph. The whole story of Joseph is filled with irony, obviously. But, um, and in fact, the whole Bible is actually with the cross. The cross is very ironic. But um, this is the irony, and I want to look at a few things we can learn from it. So here we go. Hopefully we've got some slides. Jacob's father was Isaac. Isaac had a favorite son, who was Esau. Jacob was very jealous and deceived his father, and the favorite son lost everything. Jacob then had a favorite son, who was Joseph. Joseph's brothers were jealous and deceived their father, and the favorite son lost everything. So Jacob relived as a father the misery he caused as a son. And what's the lesson for us today? Well, firstly and most obviously, I think it's true that having a favorite child or going around deceiving people is always going to cause a bit of heartache. But funny enough, the story itself in Genesis doesn't seem to be that interested in us learning that lesson. It just isn't interested in emphasizing that point. So secondly, the next two things it is interested in emphasizing. Secondly... We need to learn the lesson, and this comes out again and again in the story of Joseph, that God somehow manages to turn around human evil and mistakes and use them for good. Now, that's very reassuring to us if we've made mistakes or if we've been hurt by others. Perhaps you've made a mistake. Well, God hadn't given up on Jacob, and he hasn't given up on you. Or perhaps you've been hurt by others. Well, God hadn't abandoned Joseph, and God hasn't abandoned you. That's a good lesson for us to learn from this. And the next thing, thirdly, is that um, this story comes out of Jacob's life. uh, Sorry, this lesson comes out of Jacob's life story again and again. And uh, that is that he was a slow learner. God had to teach him the same lessons over and over again. And there's no doubt that by the time you get to the end of the story, Jacob is a better man and a more godly man than he was at the beginning. He started off by deceiving his father, and then his brother lost everything. By the end of the story, he's a different man and probably wouldn't have done that. In the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, it says, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son or his children? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as a son. So maybe for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, what we need to chew over is, are we still ready to learn from God or will God have to do it the hard way? Are there areas of our life that we're keeping away from God and we'd rather he didn't touch? Do we have sins that we cling on to and we don't really want to let go of? Things that we kind of worship instead of God, like money or possessions or family, these kinds of things, but that we're not willing to let God um, deal with. So I'd encourage you to reflect prayerfully on this irony. Um, Maybe go away and read the story of Joseph this week for yourself and think about how these ironic twists take place. And if you've been a Christian for many years, I'm sure you will learn lesson after lesson as you chew through these details and think, what could this mean for me today? But let me finish with this final thought for everyone. You've probably gathered that the story of Joseph, the part that we've read today, is actually extremely sad. As Santa brought that out really well, I thought. 
Almost the last words of the story are Jacob's words, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. That's sad, isn't it? And then the story takes a break for a chapter, so Genesis 38 isn't about Joseph anymore. So you're left with this empty feeling, having read the beginning of the story of Joseph, of, oh my goodness, that is absolutely devastating. That's such a sad story. But there is a little glimmer of hope at the end in the, in the narrator's words. This is the last verse of, verse of chapter 37. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. And you're thinking, ah, oh, captain of the guard. That's an important position. So maybe there's a glimmer of hope at the end of the tunnel. But what we need to remember is that Jacob and Joseph's brothers didn't know that, bit of, that final bit of the story. The brothers had sold him off to Egypt. They didn't know who he was going to be sold to. They didn't know what was going to happen to him. So as far as Jacob is concerned, his son is dead and died a horrible death. As far as the brothers are concerned, Joseph is going to live out the rest of his days as a slave, probably beaten, mistreated, and then die in obscurity. That's very sad, isn't it? And for us, who are perhaps in this room under a bit of a cloud at the moment, this is reassuring because there may not seem to be any light at the end of the tunnel. There may be no silver lining that we can see in the cloud that's over us. Keep trusting God and keep reading the Bible or start trusting God and start reading the Bible. (laughs) Keep praying or start praying. Because God does bring good out of suffering. And we're going to see that in the next few weeks. Let me pray as we finish. Lord God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you do bring good out of human suffering and evil. We don't understand all the evil in this world. But Lord God, may we trust you to bring good out of it. In Jesus' name, amen.